your attendance here with us and for your engagement and the things that have been going on here already through our prayers, our reading of Scripture, our communion together, and to be able to, uh, to sing together. And we hope that you have been uplifted by the time that we have already spent. And it was great to be able to pray for um, our, our YAC ministry. I know they had a little over 25 who were present for um, uh, some, a great time this last Wednesday night. That group continues to grow, and we do ask you to continue to be in prayer for that, for that work. And if you know individuals who are in their 20s to um, early 30s, we encourage you to um, ask them to come and to um, participate in the different uh, times of study and the times of fellowship that are going to be going on with that ministry. And I've got good news for you today. Good news for you. You're going to be able to uh, next week hear from our brand new Yak minister. Uh, Sean Coley is going to be uh, leading the teaching time during worship uh, next week. My family and I are going to um, take some vacation time. And so Sean is going to be uh, leading our teaching time here next Sunday. And so I appreciate him stepping in to do that. And I know that you are going to benefit from the message that he's going to be sharing with you. And so again, if you know of those young individuals, 20 to 30 years old, go ahead and invite them. Tell them to come. The yak minister is going to be here uh, next week. Who knows? He might dress like a yak. You never know with this group. What's going to, what's going to happen? Hey, open up your Bibles, if you would. I want you to find uh, Genesis. That's where we're going to be. Genesis in the very beginning. So open up your Bible to the very front, find Genesis, and we're going to camp out there here in just a few minutes. I said I had good news. It's not just that Sean was going to be uh, speaking for next week, but it's also the fact that when it comes to your life, God intends for you not merely to survive, but for you to thrive. God's intention is that you have life and that you have it to the full. Jesus himself said so. He said, listen, I have come. This is why I am here. This is my purpose so that you might have life and so that you can have it more abundantly, so that you can have it running over, so that you can have it truly to the full. I love that description of this life running over into the full because I think of French fries. I remember a time when I went to McDonald's and, and I got my fries on my tray and, and they were just not very, just wasn't very full. And I love my McDonald's French fries, especially the large one and especially when they're fresh and hot and they've got that salt poured on the top. Is your mouth watering yet? Isn't that good? And, and so you get your tray and, and my fries, they just weren't happening for me. And so I'm looking at it, and it just happens to be the manager was standing there and she looked at me and said, sir, is there a problem? And I said, well is this what you guys call full? And he said, no, it's not. She picked up that fry box and she walked back over and she set it down and she picked up a new fry box. And she got that scoop and she began to stuff French fries into the fry box. And she began to, to stuff scoop after scoop and the fries were falling out and they were breaking and they were bending and the box just kept getting bigger and bigger. And she walked back and she laid it down on top of my tray and the fries just burst forth onto the tray. And she says, that's what we call full at McDonald's. And I said, praise God. Thank you. All right. You know, and off I go. Man, that was a good day. That was good. And so when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, it's French fries flooding out onto your tray. That is what he's trying to describe in the life that we live. But let's just be honest. So many of us live with empty boxes. We do. And we're content with empty boxes. 
We're content with half-filled lives. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Because Jesus knew our original intent. He knew that we were made by God and that we were made for God. And anything that was made by God was made for his glory. And anything that was made for God was made for God's purpose. And God has in his own mind exactly what he wants to do with his creation. And how he wants that life to look. And how he wants that life to proceed. And Jesus, knowing that secret, said, listen, I know that you have been... You have been with other teachers, and they, they came, and they stole something from you, and, and they, they killed your spiritual vitality. He said, but I've come that you might have life, because you were made by God, and you were made for God. And as we've been going through this study, we found out that God wants to restore the things that have been taken away. God wants to restore the peace to your life. Some of you say, restore, I don't remember a time when I had peace in my life but God does because that was his original intent. God wants to restore your, your health, your vigor, your, your own spiritual vitality, the way in which you, you look at your life and the purposes that you have in your life. He wants to give you back what has been taken away. Others have tried to tell you what life is like. You've got all kinds of life coaches and, and life gurus, and they'll tell you, here's the way it is. Keep your feet planted on the ground and keep reaching for the stars and look within yourself, and you can be anything that you want to be. Jesus says, listen, life is only found in God. And so last week, we discovered that God wants our, our soul to be well. And we ask the question, is it truly well with your soul? Because the actions and the way that you live your life will show everybody exactly what's going on on the inside. The different choices that you make, the, the decisions that you have in your life, the direction that your life goes, it speaks so much to the actual inner soul. And God wants for your soul to be where he is. Because he wants your soul to be well. He does. He wants your soul to be well. And he wants that because he is the original designer of your soul. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, you find where it was actually the breath of God that gave life to mankind. Before the breath of God, the life that was there was nothing. It was just an empty corpse. Adam was just this body made from the dust of the ground. But then the Lord breathed his own life into him. And because the Lord breathed life into him, life then began to reign within the created. And now our souls come from and depend on and only find their home in God. It's because he designed us. It's because he made us. He wanted us. He breathed life into us. And I guess, I guess the most touching thing we can say about this is that we are only truly alive when our soul is at home. We're only truly alive when our soul is at, is at home with God. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to look and see in Genesis chapter 2 exactly what life at home with God looked like. You see, after the breath is breathed into man, 
You get to verse 8 and there is a description there of the optimum soul-nurturing environment that God placed the created in. And so the text says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that was pleasing to sight and good for food. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, look, these things were pleasing to the eye. Man, when you see it, there was something about it. It was something that made you desire. It was something that made you want it. Now, I think it's interesting that when the ideal environment of the soul is being described in Scripture that it talks about the trees and it talks about the fruit. I mean, you would think that there would be something about angelic beings playing golden harps and singing songs of praise to the Lord, right? That there'd be some kind of statue or monument to God. And yet, that's not what you see. The first thing that God wants us to know about the original environment is that the trees were beautiful and they had delicious fruit. Now, it seems very arbitrary but it's not. I think what God is doing, he's sending us a message to describe this is what life looked like. When God breathes life into the soul, he then gives a garden. And in that garden, there's something pleasing to look at and there's something tasteful to enjoy because God understands something about our souls. And that's that our souls need rest. Our souls need rest. They need relaxation, enjoyment, peace, and pleasure. But you know, probably if we polled people and asked them what they thought about religion and a relationship with God and, and said, what do you think about these things and what do you think it's all about, many would answer that it's about rules or it's about morals or it's about the Ten Commandments, about behaving and being good. And probably if they were honest, I think many would continue and say, you know what, I really need to be back in church and I, I feel bad, I feel guilty, my life is not right, I'm not going in the right direction and I'm afraid that God might even be mad at me. I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of people when they think about relationship with God, they don't necessarily go to the idea of, of rest, they don't go into the idea of enjoyment and, and joy and, and peace. They don't say relationship with God. Well, I think it's about enjoying God. They don't say, I think it's about enjoying life and nature and good food and friends. I don't think that it's about rest. And yet, rest with God is what your life truly needs. God gives us a picture of rest by saying, listen, enjoy the taste. Enjoy the sights. I want you to love it. It's free. It's for you. And I designed it so that your life could be enjoyable. See, I think it's with our fixation on keeping rules and appealing to a God that we secretly suspect is somehow angry or disappointed in us that we're in danger of losing sight of what I think is one of the most fundamental keys to a healthy soul. And that just of resting and enjoying who God is and what He created us for. Do you wonder why God puts the trees and the fruit first? Why does He present this image of of peaceful rest and enjoyment? I think it's because God is first. And a restless soul is a soul that thinks that he or she is in control and needs to take care of everything. If we do not rest, I think it's because we're trying to be our own God. We have to remember that even when we rest, God does not, when we sleep, God is, is wide awake. And when we cease working, God continues to work. 
And yet there's something within us, there's something that drives us that says we continue to have to do more. How many of you have gone on vacation only to get sick while you're on vacation? Has that happened to any of you? Where all of a sudden your, your schedule changes, the demands that you have in your life changes? Many of you are getting an um, Amber Alert from Lexington, Tennessee right now. That's the um, message that's going off. If you want to look and check your phone, uh, we hope that individuals will be on look for the 2010 dark, dark brown Hyundai Sonata passing through that area. Isn't it neat how that you get these different messages and that different things just pop up on your screens every once in a while to remind you? And then some of you don't look the first time, and so it just has to come back again and, and remind you one more time that, hey, there's an alert, there's a message. It's kind of why we do things the way we do them around here. If you were here last week, you say, you know what, I heard all that stuff about the soul already and how that my soul is designed for God and how it needs to be at home with God and I'm only alive when I'm truly with God. And oh yeah, I heard that, but this is just your friendly reminder to to check that message one more time and to, to walk again through these passages of Scripture. So what we're talking about, we're saying that when it comes to rest, why is it something that is kind of put out there and, and kind of put first and foremost And when you look at this garden that's being described in Scripture? And I think it's because that it is God who is first. And when we try to always control everything in our life, then everything just kind of goes haywire. And so that's why when you go on vacation, sometimes you get sick because your schedule changes. And all of a sudden, the routine that you've been in, all the pressures and all the responsibilities, they're gone, and your body doesn't know what to do without continually being on edge. And so you can't go and sit still. You can't relax. You can't enjoy being away. You can't enjoy the fact that you don't have to check your emails because you still try to anyway, right? And you pull out your phone and you're constantly looking to see what kind of messages might be coming in. And then there comes the cold. There comes the, the, the aches and the pains. And it's like, I just don't feel good. It's because we do not know how to rest. And I think in Scripture here, God is communicating to Adam. And he's saying, you know what? All this that you see around you, you didn't do any of it. You didn't. The trees that are here that are pleasing to the eye, I made them, you didn't. The fruit that they are producing, it's some of my favorite, and I want you to enjoy it. But you had nothing in its creation. It's something that I did. It's not all on you. I love you, and, and I made you just for me. And so, how about you go and enjoy the trees, and how about you go and enjoy some fruit and just start to relax a bit? I think it's amazing how big of a deal we think we are sometimes in our own minds and the anxiety that comes from that and the fear. And I guess the reason that we have so much worry in our life, it comes from thinking that we are the ones that are in control. True rest is unattainable for people who are obsessed with leading their own lives. It just can't happen. And yet rest is one of the primary postures of those who know Jesus because we have a God who is in control and taking care of us. I want you to consider Psalm 127. It'll be here on the screen. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. A description of how useless it is to overburden ourselves with the cares and concerns of this life. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, 
the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and that you go to rest late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Man, isn't this appropriate for our culture? It's pointless for you to work late into the night, to skip sleep, to wake up early and start all over again as if you were in control and you were the only provider and protector for your life. Where's the margin in that? Where's the the soul rest in that? Where's the acknowledgement of your creator and your designer who is sovereign over life's unpredictability? Somehow I don't think what God had in mind for the human soul when he created the Garden of Eden was that it would constantly be checking its alarms, constantly be looking at its emails, constantly be worrying what was going to be coming next. The original home of the soul had great looking trees and awesome food. I think it gives us a little perspective. We need to enjoy God, and we need to enjoy His creation. You know, one of the most spiritual things that you can do today might be to cancel your fast-paced, anxious preparation for your big meeting tomorrow, or actually tomorrow you get a day off, so probably you're already thinking about Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe you just need to make a new friend. I know um, that's what, Bob, you do that all the time, right? Every day, right? Going out looking for a new best friend. Bob Etheridge, always looking for a new best friend. He'll put you on Facebook if he finds you. He'll have a picture of you and him, and he'll say, hey, this is my new best friend right here. Maybe that's what you need. Look up a new best friend. Maybe find an old one. Go get some food. Take time to laugh. Take time to consider the goodness of God. Jesus himself said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Maybe you need to think about this and and study it more and remember that he gives his beloved sleep. Maybe it's one of my favorite verses now in the Bible. Now, it might be strange for a preacher to tell you that he hopes that you'll go to sleep. That's normally not something that's talked about, especially during this time of the lesson. In fact, it reminds me of my favorite preacher story ever. I can't tell you that it's true, but it sure is good. Young preacher first went to work at a church, and as he's preaching, everybody starts to fall asleep, and he just can't keep people awake. And so he um, decides that he's going to go and ask one of his mentors. And so he goes to a mentor, and he says, listen, everybody is falling asleep whenever I get up. And it's about 10 minutes or so into my lesson. And he's like, oh, that used to happen to me when I was younger. I'll tell you exactly what to do to help in that situation. He said, next time you get up and you look out and you see people starting to fall asleep, I want you to pound on the podium that's in front of you. And I want you to say, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And that'll wake everybody up. He said, and then when you've got their attention, you say, my mother, and then you just move on with your lesson and everything goes well. And so the young guy thought, you know, this is a great idea. I think I'll do this. And so the next Sunday he's up and he's teaching and sure enough, people just start to fade out on him. I mean, they're dropping like flies, heads are going back, drool. We're talking good snoring and he decides the time is right. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And everybody woke up. He had their attention. In fact, he had their attention in a way that he had never had their attention before. And it it bothered him. 
In fact, it scared him. And in fact, it made him so nervous that he looked out at the audience and he said, and for the life of me, I cannot remember her name. Um, <laughs> now, I can't promise you that happened, right? Oh, hey, your soul was intended to enjoy God and his creation. It was intended to laugh. It was intended to have a good time. It was intended to be able to see more clearly the goodness that is around us. Rest for your soul. And let me give you one more thing about the garden. Something else about that ideal environment for the soul. Because if we're only truly alive when we're at home with God, and if we talk about our soul's longing for God, then we, we go to this original environment and we say, what can we find here that, that perhaps God wants us to have even today? And I want you to add to the idea of rest, I want you to add to that the idea of relationships. I want you to add the idea of relationships. Genesis 2 and verse 18, it says, God said that it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And so I will make a helpmate that is suitable for him. In other words, even though Adam's soul was perfect, it was not healthy for him to be alone. Up to that time, every day after something was made, the text says that, and God saw everything that was made and it was good. And in fact, when man was made, it was very good, but, but there was something that wasn't good in the garden and it was the fact that man was alone because our, our souls are designed and intended for relationship. We are by nature relational beings. We were meant for community. Even those who are here that are the most solitary and introverted among us need some level of human interaction in order to be able to thrive with a vibrant soul. It's unhealthy for our souls to be isolated or without relationship. You wonder why those early Christians were told not to forsake the assembling of themselves together? You wonder why we encourage you to, to be a part of an EB group? Why we, why we encourage you to, to spend time out in our lobby just talking and walking the halls and, and, and going to Sonic on Wednesday nights and, and getting together in people's homes and whatever else that it might be, that the different activities that go on here within our church body? We realize the importance of relationships and how important it is for our soul. Rest is wonderful. We need that. But more than anything, we need relationship. That's why God called himself into intervention for man. He said, wait a minute, there's something not good. Man needs, needs a helper. Man needs someone to be with him. And of course, we have Eve being created, and there is this man, and there is this woman, and you have this bonding together, and we have this beautiful picture of marriage as, as what God intends. But I want us to look at this from the, the idea of just being in community with someone and sharing in that relationship. You know that without friendship, it's almost impossible to make a marriage work. And so consider this text from the idea of does God really care about the relationships that I have? And the answer is yes, he does. You just look at that particular story. God says, I'm going to make a helper that's suitable for him. A friend who can be defined as a helper who fits. And so, here's some questions when you think about your own soul. How intentional are you about your friends? Are they helping you? 
Do you fit together? Now, I'm all for having and living big, and we should draw, I think, big circles, and we should be inclusive, and we should be forgiving, and and we should be kind. But we cannot have intimate relationships with the billions of people who are here in this world, on this planet. We can't even be close friends with a few thousand, probably not even with a few hundred people. Our congregation is of such a size that we can't even know each other here. And we praise God for the more and more souls that continue to be brought here within this family. But let's be honest, we can only truly have close relationship with a handful of people, even within our own congregation here. There are those of you who sit over here on my right that you don't even know people who are over here on my left. There are people in the back that don't know people who sit here in the middle. And before you say, oh, well, that's just such a shame. Not really. It's not realistic to think that we're going to know everybody. But we do have people who sit over here that know that there are people who are around them that they could call at a moment's notice that they could go and have early breakfast with, someone that will meet them at the hospital, someone that will pick up their kids from school because they have that relationship. We have people who are sitting in the back that though they might not know some people here in the front, they know people who are sitting around them, people who have been with them during times when their mother has been under hospice care, people who have been there and taken them to the doctor, who have sat with them to get the different cancer diagnosis. They're in relationship. And it's something that we encourage and we want you to be able to experience here. Even though we are a large body, we still have room for you and for your soul to find that small group of relationships to be able to be a part of. I think we need to to consider the people that we put within our circles. You see, someone once said that you show me your friends and I'll show you your future, but I think a better way to put it is show me your friends and I will show you the state of your soul. You see, these are the people who are feeding you on the inside. Are your relationships giving you life? Are they serving or are they only taking? Are they building you up or are they tearing you down? Are the relationships that you have healing your soul or are they hurting your soul? And by the same token, are you providing for the needs for their soul? A friendship is a a two-way street, and we need to consider carefully the relationships that are in our life. A lot of people just take relationships as they come with little analysis or any long-term thought. They say, hey, you want to hang out tonight? Well, sure, I'll do that. You want to go out on a date with me? Sure. You want to sleep with me? Sure. Why not? Friendships and relationships are more important than that. Be careful and intentional and allow God to lead you. Now, I'm talking, of course, about the close relationships that you have, the people that you're doing life with on a consistent basis. I'm not saying that you need to go around and start just excluding people and never be open to having new friends. But I am simply saying that if God went to that kind of effort to provide an appropriate friend and companion for Adam, I truly believe he will help you find that friend as well. I believe your relationships can be created and ordained and put together by the hands of God. And those God-given relationships will create an environment where your soul can thrive. And isn't that really what we want in our life? We want to thrive and and we want to live and, and we want to enjoy. But for so many of us, our tray and our french fry box is just half filled. And we settled for it. 
And we think this is all that there is. And then Jesus comes and says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. I told you that there's good news. And that good news is that you and I were intended to thrive. Our life was intended to enjoy God and his creation. Our life was intended to be at the very top. But let's just be honest, for that to take place, we need some margin in our life and we need to have some rest and we need to relax. And so for those of you who are taking the weekend off, enjoy. For those of you that are about to head out on vacation, be safe, but enjoy the relationships that you're going to have and allow God to give your soul rest. I remember the first part of Psalm chapter 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing that I want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters and he refreshes my soul. Allow the rest that you receive this weekend. Allow the relationships, people that you'll share time with. Allow God to use those relationships to strengthen your soul and to give your life a thriving ability that perhaps you've never experienced before. We're going to, um, we're going to take some time to sing and encourage one another right now. We want to encourage you to consider your own life and the, the way in which you're living and the direction that you are going. And we want to give you the opportunity to, to come and say, you know what, I, I want the life that Jesus asked me to have or wants me to have, and I want to ask him for that life. We want you to be able to come and be baptized into Christ because of your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, being willing not to live life on your own terms, but to live life on God's terms. That's what the Bible terms as being repentance. And we'll rejoice with you as you are baptized and, and new life is breathed into your soul. Maybe you just need to come because you say, you know what, I haven't been resting and my relationships have truly been tearing me down. And my life is not as God intended to be. I need the prayers of this congregation. I want strength and I want new life breathed into me. And we'll take time to pray and we'll take time to wrap our arms around you and your family, your, your marriage, your job, whatever it might be, and, and encourage you. Life squared is what Jesus offers. I hope it's what you're living. If not, why don't you come and allow God to breathe new life into you as we stand and as we sing.